0: Welcome everyone to our episode of Scrubcast XS. This is a career-based episode specifically focusing, focusing on transplant surgery. I'm Tom. Today I have with me two consultant transplant surgeons. I have Eamon in the Freeman Hospital in Newcastle. And joining us remotely is Shahid, who is a transplant surgeon at St. James's University Hospital in Leeds. Welcome to you both. Thank you. So let's start from the beginning. Why are you a transplant
1: surgeon? Uh, Thanks, Tom, for that question. And actually, that's a very interesting question, because actually the answer to it changes over time. When I was in surgical training, it really was the fascination with the surgery itself. This was big surgery. Uh, This was where you got to see all the anatomy that you learned in university and through MRCS exposed in a wonderful way that you could never really appreciate in some of the other specialties. That included organ retrieval, And then passing on to this concept of removing an organ from someone and putting it into somebody else, releasing the clamps and seeing blood rush into an organ and actually work blew my mind. And for that reason, I always thought not only was the surgery fascinating, but the whole concept of transplantation was awe-inspiring. And that is probably what made me start my interest in transplant surgery. And actually today, it still continues the same way.
2: Completely agree with uh, with Shahid um, that part of it is uh, is the fascination with tra- with the with the process of transplantation. The operation itself was the first thing that brought. Me. I mean, it was bravado, really, just looking at how far you can go in in a retrieval procedure, and you know, looking at everything that you saw in anatomy books. In real life detail, but actually, my, uh, the way I got into transplantation was was accidental, and that's probably the other fascination about this this field. I went into it because there was an opportunity in research, and I, I I can't think of any other specialty that's still in its infancy where there is tremendous scope for research and innovation. In and you can see that you know every day in transplantation. So, and then then I mean, as you go along, you realise that actually this is the right. Um, this is the right field. This is the right specialty for me when you look at the difference that you make to patients' lives and how much of a jump you can make to p- patients' survival with this simple operation I could call it a simple operation. It is a very complex procedure, uh, regardless of whether it's kidney, pancreas, or liver transplant. but seeing the difference that you make, the difference between not doing anything and performing the current gold standard, which is transplantation. you compare it to any other. You know, for example, resectional surgery, you see the massive difference to survival that transplantation can make compared to other procedures.
1: And, and I think one of the other things I didn't mention was actually the tragedy and the personal stories that come with transplantation that you cannot but help get involved in as well. And seeing somebody who is either at the end stage of their organ and the quality of life that's impaired, but actually some of those tragic cases where they have an acute organ failure, such as a parasympathetic overdose, uh, and the like and actually you see what happens three months later after transplantation and seeing that person in clinic sitting across from you telling them or they telling you what their life is like now it sits with you for the rest of your life and that's something that still uh, continues to this day.
0: Okay great so I think the next question would be for me or for any of the the listeners to Scrubcast XS, why should we become transplant surgeons? What's what's the attraction or what would be the attraction for us or the reasons that you'd want to inspire a, uh, a new generation of transplant surgeons? Um, so I think, you know, if, if what had been
2: said earlier isn't enough of an attraction, <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure what is, but, uh, you know, more importantly, is, is transplantation something that you want to do uh, because it comes at a high cost? And Shahid will tell you this, you know, you are the only surgeon in that car park at three o'clock in the morning. You and potentially your, your uh, an anesthetist. And, uh, you know, you are going to be working long hours. If you're after a nine to five job, then, you know, maybe look elsewhere. But, um, but if you are the kind of person who is interested in, you know, making a difference, pushing the boundaries in a very, very exciting and fast paced field then uh, do have a chat.
0: Do you still get excited when you get called for a liver transplant in the middle of the night? Oh
2: definitely every transplant is (laughs) an individual adventure I would say Shahid?
1: Uh, Yeah to answer the question about the excitement at midnight um, and so it, it varies in intensity there are those cases that actually do uh, makes you anxious and then there's a panic uh, a little bit about you as well when you're trying to embark in your surgical planning in your head that you know what's about to happen uh, the excitement is always there the adrenaline is always there no matter how tired you are for some reason at one two three four a.m in the morning the button just gets switched on and you switch on to transplantation um so the excitement is still there To answer the first question about um, why should you do transplantation, that's that's another good question because actually if we look at ourselves as people that have gone through uh, high school and and, and into medical school, um, they've always been high achievers. So intellectually, transplantation has it there just as it did throughout university. It also allows you to use your hands and your technical dexterity as well to mix in that but also it allows you to meet the vast amount of specialties that work together in transplantation. So not only do you do the surgery, but you're also pivotal in this interaction with other specialties. So from intensive care to medicine, to immunology, virology, um, all of that is part of your daily job. And so that's what makes it interesting for everybody. And there is scope for everybody and their interest in transplantation.
0: So it sounds like there are some real highs and real lows in uh, transplant surgery and that's perhaps the adrenaline which is attractive to both of you. Just going on to perhaps a, a harder topic um, you've talked you've touched on the the hard parts of transplant I'd, I'd ask either of you really is there been a particularly difficult part in your transplant career and something that you'd be happy to talk about on here?
1: Sure um, to start that off the hardships come in various guises there is the actual hardship of the training, um, of the c- competition. The in my day, getting the numbers, and, and you know that still continues now. Your t- surgical training number, and then once you're actually in the training, the impact that that has on your life, and perhaps many people don't want to talk about it, but there's certainly a definite impact in your personal relationship, certainly with mine. Uh, a lot of relationships suffered as a result of that because there's always this continuous desire to push, learn, publish uh, and this concept that surgeons just operated and we're always in the hospital. Thankfully, that is now changing and I think that that's a, a good thing. Other challenges come with actual responsibility that increases as you go up that transplant ladder when you're a trainee SHO or an ST and then coming into registrarship. It's actually exciting the bigger the operation, the bigger the, the the intended operation. But with that comes responsibility and with that comes families and expectations and complications and managing that. And that is difficult and challenging because for a lot of people having your first death or your first complication can actually shake you. And it's how you respond to that and whether or not you crumble or you rise up and learn from that, reflect on that. And that's something that, that, you know, every day that we're challenged with. And then comes normal life, getting married, having children, uh, having those sleepless nights, the on calls, the, the endless transplant coordinator, phone calls with donor offers while your wife or spouse tries to sleep next to you. Eventually, you end up with your own room in the bottom of the house somewhere quiet for you to do your own call. The children that are woken up by the phone calls, all of that comes hand in hand with transplant Uh, specialty and so those are some of the real life challenges that exist one of the biggest challenges I suppose would be the family having your first death for example Uh, for most of us that really does put you into a corner where most people don't tend to be because you feel personally uh, involved in that because you were the operating surgeon speaking to the family addressing their concerns now everybody knows that liver transplantation has high risk associated but it's still not the same when you have to explain a death to a family member. So that's one of the hardest challenges that I come across.
2: Yeah, I mean, I uh, I can completely relate to all of that. And, you know, hearing the first part of, uh, of your answer there, Shaheed, I uh, I thought, well, thank God I'm, I'm not the only one that's uh, that's gone through all that uh, difficult balance in your life between, you know, work and family. Um with regards to uh, the, the difficulties in clinical practice, I think you know I, I agree with everything you've said there and I would add there's this, this additional dimension that we have as transplant surgeons. And I think it's probably the same uh, in Leeds as it is in Newcastle, Shahid, uh, that you are the person that actually accepts the organ in the first place for that individual. So you've also got that additional responsibility of risk assessing the suitability of an organ at four o'clock in the morning uh, for an individual you are making a life-changing decision at that point and you know the, it, you know most of the time it goes right but when it goes wrong it's a heavy burden on your shoulder
1: and i'm sorry one last thing was which because i remember the audience that's listening to this is you know transplantation surgery has its fascination and its adrenaline and its its amazing uh, benefit to patients, but there is also a cost to the trainee, to the consultant as well. For many that will know, transplantation is not for those that wish for private practice. It's not for those that want to make lots of money. This is not the specialty that's there for that. Your ability to travel and have lots of holidays is there, but you've got to remember that the um, transplant specialty is, is one that requires you to be at base quite often uh, for those transplants as well and that has an impact on your family life as well
2: yeah yeah i mean i totally agree i think um, if you uh, if you're thinking that in your early years as a consultant you know you've put those days of training behind you that's not the case in transplantation i suppose as it is with many other specialties but in transplantation you know this is just where things start um you know a lot of the time you will have you will have, uh, a, a, you know, uh, gained ARCP competencies, which don't necessarily mean independence in operating, particularly with pancreas or liver transplant surgery, um, you're still going to be mentored, you're still going to have to shadow another consultant and, uh, and, um, you know, train outside your normal uh, working hours to gain that additional experience. So it's just another thing to think about.
0: So talking through, sounds like there's a lot of um, hardship and a lot of hurdles to jump through and a lot of hard work. But it sounds like, of of course, the ultimate goal is the amazing difference that you can make and the satisfaction that you derive from the job that you do. Is there anything, do you think that there are any big takeaways from having gone through that training, gone through that hardship and worked your way through and come out on the other side that you might um, be able to um, elucidate on?
1: Yeah, well, for me, I think what I'm learning now is these concepts that you're not really taught through medical school and through early surgical training. And that is things to do with resilience and mindfulness and how you actually uh, develop yourself both physically and health terms, but also mentally and actually gaining that mental strength um in and using that in in how you practice surgery because surgery is not just simply about joining two blood vessels very carefully and very well there's a whole other mindset that comes with the specialty and all that training that we talked about all that hardship does in some way develop you slowly but surely into this mindset that you need in transplant surgery where not only do you have to be technically proficient but you also have to be able to have a diagnostic and decision-making algorithm that's in your head, that's developed over time, working with other senior people and actually uh, looking after yourself also, uh, because you know it can have a detriment to your health. All those hours spent in retrieval and going through McDonald's drive-through can't be healthy and therefore you have to develop a way of being quite disciplined. So I think these things come with time and experience But there's definitely an element to transplant surgery that's not talked about. And for me, it is about this mindfulness and mindset that's really important for resilience and sustainability if you are not going to get burnt out.
0: Do you think that there is a room for teaching of resilience or mindset or mindfulness? Or is it something that has to be earned, um, as you sort of describe, you have through training?
1: I think if you actually go outside our bubble and if you actually go outside surgery, if you look at some of the, the multi-billion pound uh, companies that exist out there in business and enterprise and, and banking, they all do it. All, all the high performance teams in, in sport and business, they all have this aspect of their mindset um, developed and as surgeons we've we failed to do that in recent years but actually it's slowly coming into it and people are talking more about mindset and, and team dynamics and resilience training and I think that's coming into play more and more so and I, and I can see that in the trainees coming through actually uh, quite more mature when it comes to resilience things like being able to say no uh, and, and, and you know I hate to say this word but in, in my day uh, saying no uh, wasn't really thought of as being a career progressive move. You just have to say, yeah, I'll do that, I'll do that. But actually now you have to be much more clever and I think people are more clever and resilient in their training.
2: Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. If time were to to, to go back and I were to give myself advice on what to do and what not to do, I mean, by all means, you have to prepare yourself for the future, you know, work towards that career. But I would say, don't just think about tomorrow, just live each day in your career, because you know, yes, you're you're planning for the future and that will consume a very significant chunk of your life. Surgical, a surgical career, and particularly a career in transplantation, is a very, very long and torturous one. So just enjoy every moment of it as, as much as you possibly can. You know, Shaheed's absolutely right. There's a lot of pressure on you. And you know, particularly in 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 our days where you know resilience was was seen as a given for a surgeon, you know, you you you, you you feel free to cope was it was the uh, phrase I used to hear a lot um but even in these days you know you have to you have to consider that time that you're going to give to yourself and your family um so just live each day uh, uh, uh to the to the fullest I would say
0: so for the listeners who've been perhaps inspired and not quite put off um by the anecdotes I thought it would be useful to ask what your particular routes into transplant were so where you started how you got there how you got here and then um, we can move on to how that's perhaps changing at the moment
2: well I um as I say I started uh, accidentally in transplantation I I joined because there was a, a research uh, opportunity at the time um but uh, if I fast forward to you know gaining my um my uh, training number and starting my general surgical training you know if you declare an interest in transplantation then obviously in your latter years of training st6 and above you will be allocated to a a a unit that performs transplantation and that's where you'll be um, you'll get more of the uh, transplant exposure whether it's in clinics wards or uh or, or or obviously theaters um there there are very specific um requirements at this stage uh, not just you know passing your frcs exam with the uh, with the transplant interest um where you will get a um a very specific uh set of questions on transplantation in your viva and um and uh, well, your long case in the clinical section will also be a transplant case. Um, on top of that, you also have to, again, depending on your your um, your subspecialty in transplantation, you may be required to achieve competencies in organ retrieval as well, and that has its own uh, mandatory course, masterclass that you have to attend. And, um, and then, obviously, go through the retrieval training um, separately. Uh, At the end of that, you know, in many cases, you know, and and mine is no exception, um, there there tends to be a period where you have to undergo a fellowship uh, in your specialty of interest, and that could be a fellowship in minimally invasive surgery. For example, if you're doing uh, living donor kidney transplants, um or in a high volume liver transplant center that does things differently to what you do and uh, again that was something that i had to go through before um before gaining um the the necessary competencies to become a consultant in transplantation
1: thanks tom and so from my point of view some of your um listeners will probably have some sense of familiarity with it when i was growing up Uh, 9, 10, 12, my career was already decided by my father and it was going to be a heart transplant surgeon because in those days there was a surgeon called Magdi Yacoub who got a lot of press in in the news and so so my father was always very much going to be a heart transplant surgeon and so I remember the 12th birthday, I remember getting a physiology textbook at 12 years old and then having an anatomy textbook by 15 and then having my uncles skeleton given to me on my 18th birthday.
2: Um, Not the real skeleton, I hope.
1: Well, well, believe it or not, actually it was, and it was from St. Andrews, and it was because he was an anatomy demonstrator. I did get that uh, uh, skull and, and some bones because of it. And so when that was already sort of decided, I already knew that I was going to be a doctor. I was already going to be a surgeon, and my father had already prescribed which specialty it was. But then as you go through medical school, and my father did pass away, and then there was this other element that had to continue his legacy. So I pursued that interest in surgery, certainly. And just by chance, I became attached to a team where we went on organ retrieval during medical school days. And then I was awestruck. And I thought, wow, that's really, really what I want to do. And then through chance, uh, you came to the Yorkshire rotation and, and in Yorkshire, we don't have heart transplantation and we had the choice of liver transplantation and kidney transplantation. And as I slowly went through those early days, as you would do as an FY1, FY2 and CT1, I actually then got sidetracked by the new changes in the, in the training system that happened at that time. And people might be aware of the the change from SHO grade to ST training and the ST interviews. And actually what happened then was regional interviews for specialties and depending on your score you were allocated to a specialty and I in Yorkshire was appointed to plastic surgery and so for two years I did plastic surgery as a registrar at the Leeds Infirmary and I was with surgeons like Professor Simon Kay, who did hand transplantation and I thought for some time well maybe that's what I want to do is hand transplantation um, but then I had all those other TV hits that you know the of the plastic surgeons and what the lifestyle will be like. And I thought that's what I'd want to do. But then meeting with the Leeds group of surgeons and seeing what transplant did and all those stories I told you about changing lives. I thought actually that's what I want to do. So I had to make a very difficult decision which I would love to hear what your audience thinks actually what they would do in that position. Would you resign your plastic surgical number and go back into the wilderness with no number compete for another general surgical number and try to get back into transplantation. And that's what I did. I resigned that plastic surgical number, was told that I didn't have a general surgical number. Oh, and by the way, you should do a research degree before you apply for your surgical number. And so I had to do all of that again. And it was all of that that definitely made me sure that I wanted to do that. And that takes me to now where I sometimes still think, would you have done plastic surgery, having met a lot of plastic surgeons now, or actually continue and transplant. And I can tell you, I'd still do the transplant. And that was my route.
0: I mean, I'm terrified of going through the first set of interviews for um, any kind of training number, let alone having one and being in a secure position and putting it to a side and said, I'm just gonna go through all of that again. So (laughs) kudos um, to you for doing it twice.
1: Well, to be honest with you, to this day, I still have people that come up to me and say, that was crazy. And actually, you know, they would never have done that. Having seen what transplant does to your work-life balance versus, say, a career in plastics or ENT or, you know, there is a difference and there is a price to pay. So I'm not going to go out there and go all bravado and say that was a a good decision for everybody. I think it suits certain people Um, and you should look carefully at specialties that would fit the lifestyle that you envisage you and your family to to live.
2: Absolutely. I mean, you have to be you have to be really sure of your decision. And when you um, walk to that car park at four o'clock in the morning and find that that there isn't a plastic surgeon's car there, you know, you have to be very, uh, very clear in your mind that you made the right decision at that point.
1: Yeah. Not only do you have to walk back to the car park, often when you do get back to the car park, it's after eight o'clock and you've got a parking ticket sometimes as well, just for, for that help that you, those extra few hours that you spent.
2: And at that point, the uh, the plastic surgeon will have taken the last uh, available uh, parking slot. Yeah,
1: in his Porsche, yeah. <laughs>
0: um, so other than the ability to work through the night, are there, are there any other speci- perhaps specific qualities that, are required of a transplant surgeon uh, beyond that of of a, of a surgeon in general,
1: because it's one specialty that is so multidisciplined. I don't think there's another specialty quite like it where you have to bring so much knowledge together at one point to enable one specific outcome. And if you are not open or certainly humble enough to that concept, which might sound a little bit bizarre, surgeons humble, but actually you do need to be able to be humble, to be open to some of the information that you get from your interventional radiologist, from your hepatologist, from your nephrologist, your virologist, you need to be able to be receptive to that. So there is something else about being able to work within a team. You might well have to lead the team and certainly you do in theater, but actually bringing about all that knowledge into theater requires a certain type of person who's open and being willing to work with others as well
2: and i think you know as is the case uh if you, if you look at transplantation from from when it started to date um it's always been about pushing the boundaries and so you're you, i it, i almost feel like you know that's that's a um that's a characteristic that uh that uh, many transplant surgeons i wouldn't say should but would have know because uh, it is a it is a specialty that continues to grow and continues to push boundaries and so you know being part of that community i think it is a a, an attribute that many transplant surgeons have
0: so for the listeners who are you know enthused by this and i think you know perhaps i have some of these qualities and 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 this is a line of work that i really want to pursue um, do you have any advice um, for junior surgeons, junior trainees who um, on how best to display those qualities or to really use them and, and, and be able to advance their career and, or potential career in transplant?
1: Uh, so from my point of view, I think one of the critical things is to be open and engaging. And what I mean by that is that you might decide that you want a career in transplant. I would say to you, you should have an open mind to have a Korean transplant and then go and seek and engage the people that will give you the knowledge and wisdom and the information that you need to make a realistic decision. And that's where relationships come into play. There's only, uh, well in liver transplantation, a handful of centers in the United Kingdom. And the people there are highly committed, highly enthusiastic and actually meeting the right mentor is really critical because they will help you also understand what you, are uh, envisaging as a realistic career in transplantation? What are your limitations? What are your qualities? Because a lot of people are very good at telling you what the qualities are. And it's not always easy to self-reflect and look at your limitations. And having somebody as a mentor early in your career is actually a very good thing. So you don't even need to be in a transplant unit to start that conversation. I often get emails from CT1s and even FY2s to say, I'd love to do transplant surgery. I'd love to come and meet and listen to you uh, speak about why you should do it. And and actually, that's a great way to start the conversation. So get mentors, engage in transplant centers and actually get the knowledge there. because a lot of enthusiastic people there, but be open. There's nothing wrong in going down the road of saying, I want to be a transplant surgeon and then changing. So it's always there as a choice and not so much once you've decided that's it.
2: I agree, um, and I would also add to that, um, you have the opportunity to start early. If you're thinking about a career in transplantation, you know, there, there, are, there are plenty of opportunities for you to, uh, to crash test that career uh, a little bit early on before it's too late. Um, there are plenty of opportunities whilst you're still a medical student to, you know, to, um, uh, to get involved in, uh, in transplantation. Um, find out who those mentors that, that Shahid is talking about, find out who they are, um, and see what life is about uh, being a transplant uh, surgeon, even as a, is, even as a trainee, not necessarily as a surgeon, because I think a lot of the time that's where most of the hardship is. Um, so and, and seek those opportunities for audits and for research, because that also gives you a, a flavor of what the specialty is about, and gives you that little bit of extra knowledge that will hopefully help you make your just make a an informed decision about whether this is a career for you.
1: And in regards to motivation, I would urge anybody you know who's really interested is to pick up a phone, and phone your local transplant centre. So if you're in Leeds, for example, you'd phone the transplant coordinator's office and introduce yourself. To say that you're really interested as a medical student or as an st1 or whatever you are to go on an organ retrieval now pre-covid that was an option and we could do that and i'm sure with time that that will start up again But once you see an organ retrieval that that particular experience will be in your mindset for the rest of your surgical career and perhaps even either motivate you to further go into transplantation or certainly open your eyes to what surgery can do
0: fantastic thank you both so much i think We'd just like to end, maybe, on a, a bit about the future because we've talked about your stories and a little bit about what transplant's like at the moment. But what do you think about the future of transplant? Is there anything that excites you about transplantation um, and about what's coming next?
2: So, if you look at the, if you look back at transplantation, at the the, the eras that have passed, you'll find that initially it was all about whether transplantation was feasible or not, um, and then you get to this phase where we're trying to optimize outcomes. In transplantation, by improving the, you know, the immunosuppressants and improving the surgery, and you know, and and the perioperative care, which is the phase we're in now, and um, and I think we're slowly starting to move to the next phase, which phase, which is where the excitement, I feel, is, and that is, and that is optimizing the 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 the, uh, the organs, the donors, and so. If you look at what's what's been happening, what the novel technology is like these days, you'll find that there's a lot of talk about ex vivo organ perfusion, for example, as a way to try and optimize the organs. And I'm certain at some point in the future, you know, we will be able to create these these uh, organ recovery centers um, where you know where organs will be optimized before they go in and get transplanted but another area that I think is incredibly exciting which you know, would potentially start to see the early shoots of in the next decade or so is um, tissue engineering. Um, And, and I think that is potentially where the future of transplantation or a lot of the research is going to be in trying to create that laboratory organ, which at the minute looks like it's a complete impossibility. But actually, that's what transplantation itself was like 60 70 years ago.
1: Yep. And then just to add on to all that fascinating developments that are actually already beginning to come into play for me is things like the use of, of technology in the concept of our daily practice. You know, um, to, to date, you know, we see people using WhatsApp and pictures of organs and actually trying to convey that information. You're going to see a whole plethora of new technology coming in with live illustration with live operating being beamed across to multiple centers to help make decisions in operating. You're going to have much more personalized medicine when it comes to immunology into the aftercare of patients. You're going to have more and more, potentially, in the United Kingdom, more live donor transplantation. Um, So there's a whole aspect that I think will develop that you will see in the next 10 to 15 years will actually shape what you guys will do, which is very different to what we do today.
0: Great. Thank you very much, both of you, for talking through and leaving us on a bit of an inspired note. Well, thank you very much, Tom. I really enjoyed that.
1: Yep. Yeah, thank you, Tom. That was great. Really enjoyed that.
0: Thank you both very much. And um, tune in next time for another episode of Scrubcast XM.
2: Excellent. Excellent. I think that went all right, didn't it?